0: Oh, yeah. It takes a Ph.D. <laughs> Sorry. takes a Ph.D. All right. So, I like this quote as well. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Last week, we had the privilege of hearing from Micah. I, I screwed up with my scheduling, and I'm actually condensing my what I had planned to present into one week, so I'm going to stick really close to my document so I can really get through it. We have a lot to cover, but... Micah did a phenomenal job last week. I loved how everybody just kind of jumped in and talked about their experience. But Micah's experience was growing up in a conservative church of Christ, and he talked about uh, uh, he talked a lot about his family's way of life in this sort of environment where science and the Bible were automatically, it was a given that they were in conflict. Um, things like they would deny the... Um, The speed of light and ice ages and things like this Um, and it sounds like a lot of you had a lot of the same experience Um, my experience wasn't so different myself Um, there was a question about the way that the traditional that we have traditionally read the text and how the church has traditionally read the text and i was kind of picking up a concern and i just want to say something about this class this is not a bargaining relationship between uh, contemporary Christianity and um, secular culture. This is uh, this comes from a place of really concern for the text and a deep respect for the Creator. Um, it is not like. We're trying to maintain a relevant, uh, excuse me, a relevance, or maintain the the sense that we are adapting the way we we view the the world. Um, it's not like the time when we abandon our beautiful acapella worship. For what's going on upstairs. <laughs> Sorry. As Christians, we can absolutely agree to disagree. Um, who was in Lauren and Josh Strahan and Matt Hearn's class last week, last fall and spring? Yeah, so we use this graphic. It's an interesting graphic because we really talked about that which is central to the text, that which is central to belief, that which is central to... Um, our way of life in a the, in the body of the church, and we also talked about as we look at the concentric circles that goes outside of um, the central aspect. We step into what that which is necessary and that which is flexible. Um, this class, you when you think about it, um, it probably falls somewhere in the flexible or necessary aspect. And when I look at this, I think about that kind of the age-old restorationist motto. Um, Who's familiar with this? Essentials unity and non-essentials diversity, and all things love. Or if you're really old school, charity. Um, so this class is about unity of the body. Um, we want to appreciate diversity of opinions and. Some people might not have been exposed to this sort of material. Hopefully, uh, this material will stretch you. Um, it might make no sense to you, but hopefully you will agree that we are not falling out here. Hopefully, you won't agree that we're, we're heretics. So... Um, this, um, this class is also about seeking and saving the lost. Um, seeking and saving the lost kind of rubs up against our cultural sensibilities. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this, this notion of our society being so tolerant, the, the modern-day view of tolerance isn't what it used to be. Um, the modern-day view tolerance says something more like, I'm scared to say, state my position because if I do, you might be, you might brand me as a bigot and um, intolerant for having said such things. Um, look, if we're, if we can't agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, then we're going to continue to lose ground to secular culture. And the final reason I think to study this is uh, retention. As Micah pointed out last week, he had many friends leave the church because of. Um, science. And I'm not saying everybody that leaves is because of, you know, science has presented a a better way to live, but I think it can help. Um, At one of our Christian teaching institutions, there was um, a group of students that graduated in December of last year, and of the college and Bible and ministry majors, how, how many do you think? There were 20 that, that graduated. How many do you think left as atheists? Ten of them. Fifty percent. Twenty of them came in as Christians. And, you know, when I first heard this, I thought, my goodness, what are they teaching over there? <laughs> but um, they're not changing the way they teach the Bible. It's It's changing. There's a change in the way people view things. Um, there's a philosopher, Charles Taylor, he wrote a book called a, a Secular Age. It's like this thick. I have not read it, but my wife's obsessed with it. But she wanted me to add this. What, do you want to? Uh. I, I mean... So, real quick, he just notes that um, <laughs> people, people see the materialist worldview as the materialistic worldview as a more courageous view, and we will see that here in a second. Okay, so on a, on a spectrum of belief, there, you have atheism. You have unbelievers. You have believers who might be leaned towards unbelief, who struggle with belief. And then you have believers. For, this, for atheists, belief is never an option. For the fundamentalist believer, unbelief is never an option. But most people are somewhere in here where an unbeliever might be terrified of that which may be transcendent. And for these people, belief belief is hard. So when we're having conversations with people, it's um, important to be patient. our uh, conversations don't have to make an immediate impact. It's important for us to be be kind. it's important us for us to listen. There are thousands of ways to end a conversation but there's really just a few uh, ways to keep a conversation going. Um, this is the great commission for apologetics. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you and account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. So much of apologetics is less than gentle and reverent. So let's talk a little bit about presuppositional apologetics. Faith faith is part of every human endeavor. Every system of belief has its own presuppositions. A presupposition is a faith statement which is just posited as truth. Every worldview has an underlying belief system. It can't be verified by experimentation or demonstration, and you can't prove it in the absolute sense. And they kind of stand behind experimentation. So... Math in math, I got a degree in math. Math has its axioms and its postulates, and it's from there that we go to derive our proofs. These are things like the properties of numbers and the geometric postulates and the observations that just seem kind of given. So let's look at some worldviews. This is the naturalistic worldview: the presupposition only the material or temporal world is real. Observation: I'm here. Conclusion: I got here by an evolutionary process. The Christian or theistic worldview, the presupposition spiritual and temporal components coexist, observation, I am here, conclusion, I got here by an act of divine creation. And the postmodern worldview, the presupposition, what appears to be real is merely a projection, the observation, I appear to be here, and the conclusion, I might be in the (laughs) matrix. So it's not the it's not a question of whether or not we live by faith. It's a question of what kind of faith we live by. Um, we're going to watch a video. Who's seen this Ben Stein, Charles uh, Charles um, Charles Dawkins video? It's pretty good. Okay. So I would point out that what, the purpose of watching this video is not to scoff. That's when I initially watched it. I just I was just kind of baffled by. Charles Dawkins' position but Richard Dawkins, I'm sorry Richard Dawkins' position um, but really kind of just watch the video and think about those presuppositions those worldviews, those faith uh, statements that we hold and I think I have to I think I have to there it is Sorry, delinquent, invented by mad,
1: deluded people. No, I didn't say like that. I said something rather better than that. Oh, well, please. Everybody here? God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. So that's what you think of God? Yeah. How about, how about people believe in a God of infinite lovingness and kindness and Forgiveness and generosity Sort of like the modern day God Why spoil it for them? Oh um, Why not just let them have their fun? I I mean I I don't want to spoil anything For anybody I I write a book, people can read it if they want to Uh, I believe that it is A liberating thing To free yourself from Primitive superstition So religions and Oh, Oh. I think it is, yes So uh, you believe it's liberating to uh, tell people that there is no God? I think a lot of people, when they give up God, feel a great sense of release uh, and freedom. Why do you think that? I mean, what's your well, dad what's your scientist, What's your dad? Is. I think, well, I've had a lot of, of letters saying that. And I think, there are 8 billion people in the world, yeah, Dr. Dawkins. How so many letters do you have? I haven't, I
2: haven't.
1: <laughs> 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 Professor Dawkins seemed so convinced that God doesn't exist that I wondered if he would be willing to put a number on it. Well, it's hard to put a figure on it, but but I I, I mean I put it on something like, you know, ninety nine percent against or something like that. Well don't you know it's ninety nine percent No, I didn't you asked me to put a figure on it and I am not comfortable putting a figure on it. I think it's I I just think it's very unlikely. Well but you couldn't put a number on it. No, of course not. But so it, it would be forty nine percent Well, I it would be I mean I I think it's 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 <laughs> unlikely, but but I but, and it's quite far from 50%. How do you know? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I put an argument in the book. Well, then who did create the heavens and the earth? Why do you use the word who? You see, you, you, you immediately beg the question by using the word who. Well, then how did it get created? Well, um, by a very slow process. Well, how did it start? Nobody knows how how, it started. We know the kind of event that it must have been. We know the sort of event that that must have happened for the origin of life. What was that? It was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Right, and how did that happen? I told you, we don't know. So you have no idea how it started? No, no. Nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics, or or in evolution. It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology, and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this plan. Um, now th- that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility mm. and I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry and molecular biology you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a second, Richard Dawkins thought intelligent design might be a legitimate pursuit? Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. But that higher intelligence would itself have had to have come about by some explicable, or ultimately explicable, process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. So Professor Dawkins was not against intelligentism.
0: For sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and cut that off.
1: So the, the Hebrew God, the God of the Old Testament, he doesn't exist.
0: Okay. All right, so uh, any observations? I, I feel like I need to open it up for some sort of discussion. But. There is no
3: end to that argument. Yeah. It, it just it goes on in perpetuity
2: yeah. forever
0: to another, another. Yeah, I, I think the, the idea there is that there's some sort of faith-based claim that you have to make at some point in time.
4: Actually, don't love the argument that, that Ben Stein used there, which is, yeah, do I, you do you know what the real answer is? Because every time science sort of, you know, and we're actually
0: going to talk about that. More thing,
4: then it invalidates more of that argument. For so sure, I don't, I don't love that argument in general, but in, it, it can go on to an end as well because we can never understand it all.
0: For sure, go ahead, Micah.
4: I just I just want to uh, observe that what Richard Dawkins is describing there is not at all. You know, compatible with a Christian scenario, but it is compatible with ancient pagan understandings of the world that we live in—that some other natural intelligence created us. Yeah. From. And so that's interesting <coughs> because it already brings in like a kind of theism.
0: Yeah, and he and he is he is um, consistent with that naturalistic worldview, which we're gonna kind of go into. Go ahead, Marky. I, I think
3: he started with science and ended up with God. That's that's what I uh,
0: so it seems. Okay. Okay, so nature is real, and we're going to kind of go really quick because i I was too ambitious here. The materialist the materialist declares that only reality is the material world, anything outside of that uh, is rejected. As Dawkins points out, there is a modified form of materialism. And that acknowledges the possible existence of reality outside of our experience, but that reality would never try to influence our experience within our system because our system is closed. And the question that Dawkins just kind of, kind of breasts up: Why would you ask me that? Who created the universe? That to the naturalist, this question makes absolutely no sense. For they either suppose the universe to have eternally existed. Or extraterrestrials came to this earth to create life, or as Micah pointed out, that's consistent with um, some sort of ancient, mythical um, view of creation. Natural law, natural laws are regular, orderly, consistent, and deterministic. This is why we do science. Things are repeatable and um, um, deterministic. We sit. We're just um, a product of our genetics. Um, everything in the past has a cause. People are a product of of genetics and um, conditioning. And we simply follow our instincts. Let's move on to the Christian presuppositions because this is where we need to kind of camp out. God exists and nature is real nature is the real product of his creativity, as opposed to saying nature exists and God exists, which is uh, some form of theistic presupposition. There's something very different about saying God exists that is saying that God is active in nature. Our foundational presupposition is the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created. And I point out that the biblical writers never really seem to attempt to prove God's existence. God's existence is always taken or put forth as a faith claim or a presupposition. Um, it is through faith that we have this belief in God, and theologians call this this divine sense that we have as believers. It's in, the, it's in the text. We see it in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen may be made from things that are not visible. And as Micah pointed out last week Romans chapter 1 and God creates and sustains the world through the logos. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for him and for in him All things in heaven and in earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether the thrones, dominions, or rulers, or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, if God created the world, where did God come from? As as Christians, this is uh, a kind of a nonsensical question, but that's what atheists tend to ask. Um... And I think that this way of approaching apologetics or belief is really helpful because um, the presuppositional approach kind of makes the question fall flat. It kind of highlights the non-sequitur nature of the question, who created God? Because God just is. God exists outside of source. God is the original source, and that's what we mean when we say God is eternal. But how does God talk about himself? Um, I got, I, who in, who's a language scholar in here, biblical language scholar? Do we have one? No one, thank goodness. <laughs> because I got all this from, uh, Randall Wilcher was all fired up about this when he talked his, talked about uh, the Ego of Me verses in his John class. Um, so we're going to start in, in Exodus. Exodus. Um, this is when Moses, uh, Sees God in the burning bush. God appears to Moses in the burning bush. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, that's the all caps Lord, which means, which denotes Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you to me. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. So he uses I am who I am, I am, and Yahweh. Um, when When they translated the Hebrew into the Septuagint, the Torah, into the Septuagint, um, they translated this as ego and me. And then I only mention this not because I know anything, I claim to know nothing about biblical languages, but because you need to see the, the theological significance of what happens in John. You know, Jesus probably was trilingual, maybe even knew four languages, but he would read the Bible in, in ancient Hebrew, and he was probably also familiar with the Greek um but he would translate that into, for his teaching in the Aramaic. But his disciples probably were familiar with the Greek. And we're just going to, there there's all these Ego and Me passages, 20 plus in John. Um, but they usually have an article after them, like I am the good shepherd. But he has for that just kind of stand on the, by themselves. And, and here they are. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You are not 50 yet, and you claimed to have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That's Now that seems a little more clear. From now on I tell you, before it comes to pass, in order that when it does happen, you may believe that I am. Okay, and here's the one. When Randall was saying this, he's all fired up about it. I, I was kind of skeptical, but this one kind of drives the point home. Jesus is claiming to be God. And he's claiming to be there in, crea- in the act of creation. They answered him, Jesus of Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, the one who betrayed him, was standing with them. Therefore, when he said this, I am, they fell backwards. They went backwards and fell to the ground. Okay. So this is who claim- this is who Jesus claims to be. God's universe is orderly, intelligible, and indeterministic. Um, now, there, there are groups of Christians that um, would say that the world is deterministic, but we're, we're kind of a, a different sort of thinking in the churches of Christ. Um, experimental, experimental results are reproducible and nature can be understood. The Bible does speak of the supernatural, but this is in no way a conflict because we believe in an open system. God sustains the world. Therefore, God can intervene as he may choose just so that his will may be accomplished. Um, uh, Man is unique. He is body and spirit, but he is not ruled by choice. He uh, He has his own agency and he can come and go as he pleases. He can believe, or he can not believe. The spiritual realm is orderly, consistent, and can be understood sufficiently to meet the needs of man through his revelation. How do we know? Truth, inspiration of Scripture, the creative activity of God, the fullest revelation of God, God through the incarnation of Christ. And there are things that he hasn't revealed. As Isaiah says, as we hear in Isaiah... For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So where do theology and science intersect? They're both attempting to describe the character of certain realities we encounter, but the spheres of concern are relatively okay, relatively independent of one another. Uh, they are not independent in that science illuminates the Creator, but these two are answering different kind of questions. Science, the how and the when, religion or theology, the who and the why. And if you think back, you, could say, you might say it this way, think about it from a worldview perspective. Um, science can show you how your body is fearfully and wonderfully made, but from the, the-, the atheistic worldview, science can only show you that you're a complex biological Organism that is a big mass of cells, and each the the conglomerate of cells is no greater than the individual cell itself. Go ahead, John. Are, are, are any
3: of these notes going to be made
0: available? I can I can I can email them to you. Or put them out where we can go get them. Yeah, some. yeah. So, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I was supposed to pass around this list. So. <laughs> go ahead. Translate. Echo a mean for me. I'm sorry. I am. Just I am. I am. I, and if anybody knows more than I do. Go ahead. Well, so not a Bible scholar, but I
3: do remember in Hebrew talking about that. And that there's not a good English translation yeah. for I am. And if you tried to pick, pick your best attempt at it, it would be God is Izzy. God is <laughs> he's, and He's always active. Um, the same as he's active in our past and is the same active as will be in our future. Um, but it it really helps this
0: conversation because there's no time to really yeah down. yeah and uh, the, and Yahweh I I did I failed to mention this Yahweh means that which brings into existence that which exists that's the way I understand it I don't know I mean it's just what I what I've read so um anything else um, science is broadly speaking individual uh, and evidentialist undertaking, it maintains that one must have observable experiences or demonstrable arguments for one's beliefs to be justified or rational. It relies on proofs. Now, the claim that belief is irrational because it can't be proved is kind of a narrow view of rationality. (laughs) You know, the rationality uh, we, we believe all things, lots of things to be rationa- rational that we can't prove, such as is it rational to say that the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning? Seems like a rational, plausible stance to take, but you can't prove it. And um, I really think that, there, that the atheistic worldview is kind of overstepping its claims when it just says, oh, you believe in God, you're irrational. Um, Belief in God is more like a belief in a person than a belief in a scientific hypothesis. That is to say, we come to have an assurance of God by relationship, not by proof. Anything else? Go
3: ahead. You know, Jason, I think the thing that's really interesting about um, what you presented is most of the conversation happens when you you look at your spectrum on the two ends, Mm -hmm. you know, from the atheist and from the belief. Yep. And listening to the Dawkins, um, it, if you switched out just a few words, you know, we yeah. use a lot of the same language the other side might use, and, and I think that's really helpful for you to illuminate because my tendency is always just to be, you know, to point at the other side of the argument and just say, that's just um, silly. Or reductionistic or what you know, instead of honestly engaging in some conversations, and that's what I think is really helpful about what you presented. So. Repeat the lessons you just said about relational.
0: So I, I said the claim that belief in God is irrational is a narrow view of what is considered to be rational. Belief in God is more like a belief in a person than a belief in a scientific hypothesis. That is to say, we come to have an assurance of God by the relationship, not by proof. Right. It's
3: like I believe my mother exists because. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So you might like say. You would say it
3: different. You go. What oh, is it? Or, you know, yeah. it's kind of the same argument. Is that what kind of? What yeah.
0: Demand saying? for evidence cannot be um, met in these kinds of relational um, examples, right. and yet our belief are st- is still rational. Like, you believe in this relationship you have with your mother because human r- uh, relationships demand trust and commitment and faith. So
3: so doesn't it seem that we're sort of on shaky footing when we drop the relational part and try to just go with proofs yeah. outside of relationship?
0: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think that I love you know, I think that um, you know the analytic philosophers are some of the smartest people in the world. And I think there is a place for that kind of rigorous academic approach to prove the existence of God. I think the moral argument for God is a phenomenal, strong case. I think that uh, it, it, are you familiar with William Lane Craig? He's a uh, analytic philosopher. He's brilliant. He has a Great resource, if you are interested in this, a Reasonable Faith podcast, a great, a great resource. But I think ultimately when it comes down to it, we're talking about something along these lines. And that's not to say that um, everybody that's on the circuit here is going to agree with me. I just think that this is a great starting point. For one, it, it kind of addresses that question, well, who created God? I mean, God, he just is. It's a presupposition. We have the same
3: argument in this room between phenomenological discourse and analytical philosophy. You know, Bertrand Russell discourse, yeah. and you kind of go, "Yeah, it's everywhere here too." And uh, sometimes you feel like if you don't come to the come to the table with a lot of analytical philosophy, you can't really play the game. But yeah. you go, "But feel uh, stupid," you know, just in some ways.
0: Analytic philosophy can kind of get it this guy maybe, but they'll never admit it. But these, these people typically don't care about it. You
4: know? Go ahead. So, is there, I, I keep seeing in
3: this it's a linear continuum. And I would totally agree with that idea. Like, there's, there's a whole lot of faith in saying, I'm utterly convinced there is no God. Like, wow, you, you figured the whole universe out. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but is there, is there more of a, is there also room in this for, like, a matrix?
4: Say okay. Well, there's this deep faith of no God, and there's this deep faith of God, or there's also like agnosticism.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. So you could you could say this agnostic, and this is just the pure naturalist. You know, I mean, there's there. This is not a perfect example. It's yeah. perfect spectrum. Go ahead.
2: I wasn't going to say this, but you guys went into the whole relationship and this is at a much lower level than what all of you are saying, but when Dawkins was speaking and he gave that long list of negative attributes of God, all I could think was my own children at one point or another would say all those things about me. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't mean I'm a horrible person. And maybe that was their understanding of my actions at the time, but they didn't really understand because they were children. That's what struck me about that. Relational
3: aspect. <laughs> well, to her comment, I think uh, she's totally right, but it reminds me of when things are taken out of context in, in in social settings, where you can take a snippet, you know, you can look at God, you know, destroying the Canaanites or whatever, you know, pick your, pick your whomever, and you can say, oh, he's, you know, he believes in genocide just for genocide's sake, just completely out of context without the relationship. But <coughs> Before before she spoke, I was going to mention that one one of the strongest uh, proofs or or things for me is the prophecy. Uh, you mentioned Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a strong uh, stake in the ground for <clears throat> battling this you know this naturalistic or, or whatever view is. Look you know look at what Isaiah said and, and what came to pass. I think that's that's pretty strong from just from a scientific for perspective. For sure,
0: John.
4: I'm not sure exactly how this fits in, but the Christian Code of Ethics is supposed to come from the teachings of Christ, and that Code of Ethics determines the actions. I have a friend on Facebook, some things are good on Facebook. I have a friend on Facebook who is an atheist. And we got into a discussion one day, and my question was, do you not have a Code of Ethics that you go by? Obviously, it's not from Scripture, but he said yes question is, where does it come from?
0: Yeah, so that's, that goes back to the moral argument for the existence of God, I think. And um, I think that these are strong, but this is not, not really what we are trying to get into today. But I think you're yeah, right. I Go ahead. Yeah, so I think
4: maybe it's important to look at that continuum there. Um, and I think the way most atheists look at this is while you have um, a believer over here on the far right... To an atheist, that person is making a positive claim that there is a God. Now, an atheist, I think colloquially we all tend to see that as someone who, you know, the high percent there is no God. When in reality is, my experience has said so that most atheists will simply dismiss the claim that there is. So yeah. I think it's important to make that distinction that the lack of a belief is not the same as the positive. Discipline.
3: Yeah.
0: Go ahead.
2: Um, I just want to say something about the relational aspect of this. That I think we would be, we need to be careful that we don't sound like we're saying, so uh, we believe this because we'd like to believe it. That it's just something there's a kind of leap in the dark because that's actually what a lot of people. So there's this narrative that you'll hear among the kids who decide they're, they're going to be atheists because it's, it's because of science, okay? Well, what I think, what I hear there, and what Charles Taylor is saying, that I, I think is really an, an important insight, is that that account is told because it sounds like the more adult, the more mature, the more courageous way to go through the world. I'm not going to believe in religion because it's just a kind of a you know fairy tale. A comfort object, a fairy tale. I'm brave enough. I'm bold enough to go through life with my eyes open and and realize that we're just here, and that it's all just material, and you know. So, um, I think we, can, we, we need to be careful when we're having a dialogue with this, kind of, this person who's struggling, right, to say, my faith isn't something I, I believe just because I want it to be true. I think that I have rational grounds upon which to believe all of this. And then when you think about the, the Dawkins video, think about his reasons for being kind of assured of his position. He had received letters from people telling them their lives have become better since they dropped religion. That's a kind of personal, relational way of making sense of something, right? Um, he says, uh, "I'm not going to put a percentage on it. I'm just, I'm just feel sure about it." That's a kind of personal, affective uh, assurance that he has. So I think. Um, I like to. I, I'd also said, let's talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, and I didn't take my advice. But the Wesleyan quadrilateral is, you know, the the way it's it makes... Because she doesn't things. really like that string. <laughs> I do like it. Oh, it's a joke. But, uh,
0: Josh. Josh somewhere, you, she loves it. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, but but in the the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you have tradition, reason, experience. All of these things are are circulating around and. What we have is, you know, there's reason is interacting with experience. Reason is interacting with revelation. Reason is interacting with tradition. And this is how all faith systems work. <coughs> so I think if we can have dialogue with friends who are questioning, friends who are on you know, left end of the spectrum, about how their reason is interacting with all of these things as well. What they believe to be revealed, what they believe to be... Um, Kind of tradition is what's a community of belief, okay? And then what seems to be their experience, you see there are rational grounds for moving towards these things. That you have rational reasons, because we just, yeah, I believe my husband's going to be faithful to me because I know him. I can't rationally prove it the same way I can prove that there are atoms, right? Okay, so sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one more. Go ahead, Mike.
4: I just, uh, I think one of the things that you're kind of teasing out here and I hope we kind of get into uh, more is this idea that, that science is based on a set of, of suppositions and um, the, those suppositions have a context and have a background yep. and the naturalist assumption is that they can be self-justifying but we don't, but they're very successful suppositions. So I don't I don't want us to undermine those suppositions. I want to say what is the larger philosophical theological context which gives rise to the validity of those suppositions in the scientific process.
0: Yeah. Um, so George Parks is likely going to be talking along those lines here. Few weeks. Not, not not in that depth.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna steal George's thunder next week on that so Okay. I'm not gonna let George
0: talk uh, Okay. <laughs> so great, good discussion. Thanks everybody. Have a great week.